0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. If you go by what I see here on the train here in Philadelphia when I go into town, the numbers of people going to work in our city is way down right now. And that's a story that is probably playing out in a lot of cities across uh, the United States at the moment. So what is this going to mean for the commercial real estate market longer term? Remember, in the first few months of the pandemic, as people were uh, starting to work from home, there were starting to be a lot of reports out about whether or not you would see companies cut back on the amount of commercial real estate that they might very well hold. Well, that maybe didn't happen uh, in the last year or so. But the question is, with so many more people going to be working from home longer term, Might we now see that turn at the moment? And what kind of impact might it have on cities across the U.S.? Pleasure to welcome into the show uh, Joseph Yerko, who is a professor of real estate, professor of finance, and as well professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. Joe, great to have you with us. Thanks for a few moments today.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me.
0: How much are you seeing this play out here in Philadelphia and and obviously hearing these stories uh, anecdotally in other cities across the U.S. as well? In
1: terms of the of the actual decline in demand for office space, we haven't really seen it play out yet. It's just too early. And one of the reasons is unlike apartments where if you're a renter, you re up every year, not in office, you have five to seven, sometimes 10 year leases. So the actual rollover of tenants will happen slowly over time. Um, I do believe it will happen, and I strongly suspect what will result is a move and a concentration, a flight to quality, if you will. So over the next few years, as tenants start to rethink space needs and their leases roll over, They'll go into better buildings, and the the less good buildings um, will be in be in trouble. I, I'd like to. There's another answer to that question, though, which is you are seeing now um, what happens to the non-office real estate users, think right. retail users and the like, when office people don't come into work, and that we see happening now, right? And I think. Yep. Most of us suspect that over time we won't come back five days a week. And I think that's the real challenge for cities. The the first response was that's a challenge for landlords. The challenge for cities is what are they going to do in the longer run over the next few years when we don't see as many people on the street, even when COVID's gone?
0: That's the the, the harder question. Yeah, the the tax revenue side of this, I think, is is a massive issue that's going to play out, whether it be the individuals who live in the suburbs but work in the cities, uh, who are in towns that that have a wage tax like we have here in Philadelphia, or those businesses that rely on people who are in the office to. Uh, you know they're running in to grab a sandwich at lunchtime. They're not going to see uh, you know the same types of revenues, and that's going to have the trickle down effect on the cities. and The city governments are really going to be challenged here over the next several years.
1: Yeah, it'll happen certainly that way. Which is, if you're not in, you're probably not going to pay as much tax. But it'll it'll occur by if I'm only in my office three days a week. That means I'm getting lunch in the suburbs two days a week the sales tax revenues. It's not just the wage tax. It's all the things I purchase and do in the cities um, won't generate as much revenue. And oh, by the way, um, transit systems like ours and other big cities have huge fixed costs. If the average ridership per day falls by a meaningful fraction, as it's likely to, even in the long run. I mean, I know it's plummeted in COVID times, but Um, the cost per passenger goes up and we're gonna need more revenues and more subsidies so the fiscal problem is really important but I think cities are gonna have to think about what are they gonna do with empty office buildings the lower quality ones that may go dark in the next five years and then what do they do when the the real estate the retail the restaurants the Starbucks around those buildings aren't needed anymore. They're going to have to start thinking about... They should start thinking of this as their responsibility to rehabilitate those areas now and and not
0: later. and, And then the multiplier on this is for the cities is when you don't have a lot of these options coming in, then it's going to impact things like fire, police, transit, as you mentioned, sanitation, all of these services that are vital for people that live in cities that they won't be able to provide as much as they have in years past.
1: Yeah, if they get hit fiscally, they'll have to cut back somewhere. That's that's right.
0: So let me go back to the the, the real estate side of this, because you brought up something which I I don't think has been talked about a lot, is that length of lease and the fact that it is so much longer than, say, somebody that's renting an apartment in a city. So you're talking about a story that's not just going to play out over a one- to two-year window, but something that's going to play out over a 7, 10, maybe even 15-year window.
1: And I would guess 3 to 7. It won't fully play out for another 3 to 7 years, probably towards the longer end of that
0: length. So wh- so what's that going to mean for the landlords? Are they're going to have to change the, kind of the, the rent model that they have with a lot of these businesses?
1: Maybe. I, I, I suspect yes compared to what would have happened to rents with a full recovery from COVID, rents won't go up and they may decline um, in some places, certainly in a lot of buildings, and that'll be the lower quality buildings. Think the buildings with low ceilings, not really great HVAC, heating ventilation and air conditioning systems. They're the ones that are going to be a real threat. There's a possibility, and it's not a crazy one, that the best buildings in town in big markets like ours do just fine and maybe even better because of this flight to quality, but Mm -hmm. they'll change the makeup of their tenants. Think about it. It's going to be a complex dance for them and their tenants. If tenants think their people are only in, you know, somewhere between 60 and 80% of the time, they cut their space demand at their next lease renewal, but they need flex space because there will be times when all of their employees are in. And so you're actually the, – the WeWork model, which did not go well initially because of mispricing, that model's going to be viable going forward. So I think you'll see these bigger, better buildings have more right. flexible space so that they can deal with the space needs that will vary maybe even by day of the week for, for certain tenants. It's, it's going to be a complex dance. It will keep the building owners and managers busy and out of trouble for a while trying to figure this out.
0: And so you bring up a dynamic I wanted to touch on anyway, is, is that issue of quality. But when you're talking about the newer, shinier toy, the nice new buildings, and we've seen a lot of them here in Philadelphia, and every city's got them, you know, to to whatever degree, versus the older buildings, which have been kind of a staple for a long period of time, what do you see happening with some of these older buildings, which in some cases landlords and and companies that own them were trying to retrofit them to make them more modern. You know, is that investment something that continues or is it not as as valuable to do that? I, I think it's not
1: as valuable on average. There'll be many cases when it is and it will work, but there'll be some in all cities, including ours. Um, WHERE THOSE BUILDINGS JUST AREN'T VIABLE ANYMORE. AND WHAT WILL HAPPEN IN CITIES WITH STRONG DEMAND THAT NEED RESIDENTIAL, we WILL CONVERT THOSE BUILDINGS TO APARTMENTS OR CONDOS AND THE LIKE. AND THAT WILL WORK, I THINK, IN MORE EXPENSIVE MARKETS. Um, AND IT WILL BE NICE. IT WILL BE NICE IN THE FOLLOWING sense, is THAT RENTS MAY EVEN FALL A LITTLE BIT AND mm. EXPENSIVE CITIES BECOME A LITTLE BIT MORE AFFORDABLE THAT WAY. Um, what we should worry about is cities in longer-term decline, as, as it were now. Think the, the Rust Belt, which where I happen to grow up in southwestern Ohio, upstate New York and the like. It right. may not be viable to convert anything from office to, to residential. There could be – this could lead to a real downward spiral and weaker um, office markets that don't have much, in, you know, natural growth to them.
0: Well, let me let me throw out another example, if I can, Joe, because I, I had, you know, spent two years in college at, at Ithaca, and so one of the towns I used to drive through was Binghamton, New York. And Binghamton is a town that, you know, already has kind of gone through, uh, through this in the fact that they had so much manufacturing for such a long period of time. Then that manufacturing left, and a lot of the town really became – Kind of a ghost town, and I think that's what you're talking about. Although, obviously, at a, at a kind of different path of this process, is that some of these cities are going to have to really kind of rethink what they are.
1: I I think that's right. If if so, I grew up near Dayton, Ohio, which you know, the Midwest version of, of Binghamton. Um, I think they will have to because if they're only going to have their office tenants in sixty to eighty percent of the time. They're just not as viable, and they, they have to really rethink what amenities they're going to provide and how they're going to attract people downtown, so that they can maintain a tax base and a tax revenue flow to provide core services.
0: But it's the, the, the be part much of this also for them
1: than it will much harder for them than it will for New York City and San Francisco. I think it right, will exactly. be a expensive transition, but they'll be yep. fine. They could end up being slightly better as as a result from this because they, they can become a bit more affordable and they they will attract people. I worry much more about your Binghamton example and my old hometown. Of Dayton. Uh,
0: so there are cities out there that may very well be proof, uh, uh, you know, proof. I say, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stable enough where they don't have to worry about this issue as much as some of the other towns.
1: That's certainly, I think everybody has to worry about it, but not as much because think about Manhattan. They need more apartments and condos. Let's say some of these older office buildings are just too expensive to retrofit. There's their natural market forces there in San Francisco and the like, which will, Transition them; it will be expensive for the landlord, but they will transition into multifamily and the like. I don't think that's going to happen in my old stomping grounds or your old stomping grounds in upstate New York. Um, Well, and and, the the residential rents aren't high enough to justify the conversion costs.
0: Right, and that's the dynamic I think that that is unique about a place like New York is that it is a destination for so many people. You know, it it's kind of that aspirational place that you want to live and work, especially when you're younger, uh, because of the lifestyle uh, that that people really want to go there. Now you're talking about almost kind of a a little bit of a different dynamic. Continuing to move in is the family component moving in.
1: Could be, if it got cheaper, some might move in. That's that's what's interesting and potentially exciting about it, is they could provide a different environment. Um, that would attract maybe different demographics than they than before, where you just pretty much had to be rich or wealthy to really live well in some of those places.
0: What do you think this means then for the building community when you're talking about putting up these new buildings? And, and we don't, I think we the, don't, we the don't want to it. have the... That one's
1: clear. That one's clear say we that again. won't be building as much. It's clear. Yeah. We We're... we're We don't need as many buildings, office buildings in particular. We don't need as many. That one's clear, and you already see pretty low construction levels in that sector, and that's not going to change, not for the next three to five years until we figure out what the new demand is.
0: Could we be looking at a, a pivot back the other direction at some point down the road, assuming that, you know, COVID is is not a concern, and I think over time, I, I wonder if businesses will start to want to kind of roll back to what we are, you know, more historically known for is having people in office five days a week. Maybe it's four days a week, but, you know, if we see more companies do that, then we're going to kind of go back onto that cycle of, of wanting to build or wanting to have that space available. Yeah,
1: nothing is forever. But I think if you made me guess, I don't know the answer, but it won't stop me from guessing, um, is we're not going to go back to five days a week, that people like the flexibility. um, And although there will be huge variation, right, some people, particularly in the tech sector, are going to be able to work from home roughly forever. Others who work more in teams where in-person experience is really, really important will be in four to five days a week. So there will be a lot of variation, but I think people and families want the flexibility of at least a day, and I think bosses are going to have to give it, whether they like it or not, right? We all read stories about major CEOs who have said, we're back, we're back, we're back, um, and it's pretty clear their workforces don't want to be back fully. So we'll, we'll see, but I don't think we go back to pre-COVID. I, I just don't.
0: Joseph, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for your time and your insight. All the best. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Joseph Jerko, professor of real estate, professor of finance, and professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.